Dr. Nicole at Taproot Conversations. And this is Dr. John, and we are here with an extremely special guest, one of my oldest chiropractic friends, not because I've known him for so long, because but he is so old. It, no, actually, a, a really grounded, great, solid guy, Dr. Jack Borla. Jack, introduce yourself. Thanks, John. I'm uh, probably the oldest guy in chiropractic right now. Um, many of you may not know, but I actually studied with Didi. Um, I took better care of myself, which is why I'm still here. Um, I'm a chiropractor. I mean, I, in fact, I just celebrated my 24th year of graduating from chiropractic college last Sunday on December 12th. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. They actually do license people like me, which is amazing. But um, I, I actually, I went back to chiropractic college at a later age. I went back when I was 39. I graduated when I was 42, which by the way, is the same age that uh, Stevenson graduated from chiropractic college when he was 42. The only difference is that he wrote a textbook and uh, I'm still kind of doodling on paper. But so you, um, it, it was probably, no, it's not probably. This is the, the best career choice that I could have ever made. It's not my first career. Certainly it's my, it will be my last career. Uh, but I had done a number of things before going to chiropractic college. I had uh, been a, a, a faculty at San Francisco State University where I taught for two years. I was a family planning counselor. Uh, I ran the Stanford University Blood Center. I spent 10 years in biotechnology where I was the director of scientific operations for a large biotech company. Uh, and I was a project manager for the lead product, which was Interleukin 2. Um, I've owned and operated three restaurants. Don't ever do that. That was really dumb, <laughs> dumb five years of my life. Uh, but I did that. And the, the great thing about having gone into the restaurant business is after having a, a pretty successful career in biotech, um, I gave all the money that I earned in biotech back to the public through the restaurants, but I had to come up with then a decision on what I want to do with the rest of my life. And, um, you know, as a Jewish boy, you, you really only have two choices in life. And that is one, you can be an attorney and two, you can be a doctor. And um, I, I didn't want to wake up every morning, you know, fighting with somebody. So, so law was out for me. So I really had a, a keen interest in uh, the human body and how it functioned. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, when I was about 12 years old, I remember uh, my father and I had his routine. And the routine was that we would get up really early in the morning. We'd have coffee and breakfast together. And he is an immigrant. My parents are immigrants from Algeria. So they really super appreciated their ability to come here and establish a new life for themselves and their family. And one of the things that my father did is he had an appreciation for what was going on in the news. And so we had this thing called the newspaper. I don't know if you know what this is, but it's paper with ink on it that you used to read. And, and it was divided in different sections. And he would give me a section and he would take a section and then we'd swap sections. And he would quiz me on what I just read because he wanted me to stay up on current events and know something about what was going on in life. And I'll never forget, it was in December of 1967 when I was 12. Um, I read an article about a South African cardiovascular surgeon who successfully completed a human heart transplant. And for some reason that stuck my mind, like, you know, how is it possible you could take tissue from one person and put it into somebody else and with, you know, with some manipulation for, for immunocompromisation so you don't, you know, reject the tissue. Um, the person lived. And so that got me thinking about maybe I should have a, a, a career in medicine. So I went through the whole pre-med route, but my, my interest in medicine uh, was that I wanted to become a plastic, a cosmetic surgeon for disfigured kids. And my hope was to travel around with this thing, Doctors Without Borders, and provide these services for free to the kids who otherwise wouldn't have it and who would probably live some pretty devastating lives because of their disfigurement. 
But as life would have it, uh, I met a woman and fell in love. And uh, so funny, when I was a kid, I swore one, I would never get married and two, I would never have children. So what do I do? I marry a woman at a very young age with two kids because that's a smart thing to do. Um, but anyways, because because uh, I got married at a very young age and have a family now to be responsible for, uh, medicine was out of the question. So medical school was not a possibility, which is why I did those other things. Um, but the same woman that I married at a very young age one day woke up on New Year's Day, unable to move her legs. Uh, the night before we were having, we went to a party, everything was fine. She woke up unable to move her legs. So I put her in the car, took her to the local emergency room where they uh, examined her and in, uh, injected her and medicated her. And by around 3.30 in the afternoon, there was no change in her condition at all. And they said, that's about all we can do. So, you know, let's see what time has, what we'll do for you. So I put her back in the car and went home and it's New Year's Day. So I have this tradition of, I always call my friends um, to wish them a happy new year. And, and one of my friends, you know, I explained what happened. He says, well, why don't you call my chiropractor? And I had never been to a chiropractor before. And I said, you know, wh what is a chiropractor going to do that modern medicine in this very nice uh, hospital couldn't do? And he says, I don't know, but call him anyway. I said, but it's new year's day. He says, call him. So I called the guy and to my surprise, he answered the phone and I could hear his kids in the background. And so I knew he's a family kind of a guy. And you know, I explained my situation. I told my friend who was one of his patients suggested I call. And he says, um, can you bring her to me at 530? I said, sure. You know, where's your office? He told me, sir, I will see you tomorrow at 530. He says, no, no, today at 530. So I thought, well, my first suspicion that he answered the phone on New Year's Day is a whack job. Now it's confirmed that he's a whack job. Uh, nonetheless, I put her in the car and I took her back, took her down to his office and I carried her in. And he explained what he was going to do. And he, he said, I'm going to take my own x-rays. And so I had to hold her up while I took x-rays. And he said, if I find what I think I'm going to find on the film, and it coincides with my examination findings and your wife's complaints, I can help her. I said, doctor, you do whatever you need to do because we have no other hope than you. So he did this thing and he put her on this table and went up and down. I thought, this is more like a circus ride. I've never seen this stuff before. And he put her body into this position and he did this thing, which he called the adjustment. And she walked out of there. Wow. I thought, holy crap, if she can have those types of results with her issues. I've got lots of issues. Maybe he can help me with my issues. So I started to go and we went every single Friday. We never missed a Friday until he passed away. And when he passed away, we found somebody else. We went to that other person every Friday and we never missed an appointment. And we just considered chiropractic as part of our normal life. That's what we did. Because we realized, because of this man who explained to us what he was doing, we realized that any compromise in the nervous system could also compromise our functioning. And so we were both into high functioning. Uh, we had kids to raise. We had a future ahead of us. And so chiropractic then became what we did. And so after I sold my restaurants, I had a, a chance to reflect on where do I want to go and where my life, I thought maybe I'll go to chiropractic college. And fortunately for me, I live in the San Francisco Bay Area. There are two chiropractic colleges, just Palmer West and Life West. And I'd done some research. And again, I knew really nothing about chiropractic other than my experiences in this man's office. Um, and I figured, well, Palmer West, is, you know, the people who developed this whole thing, this whole profession were Palmers, I, I should go there. And so I went to Palmer West. And the very first day that I sat in that classroom at the age of 39, I said, this is where I should have been when I was 20 or 22. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, it just felt right. And because I was an older student, I had certain privileges that the younger students didn't have. I actually taught at Palmer West in my second quarter. I was teaching first quarter students uh, anatomy lab and I taught some microbiology uh, and I taught some physiology. So I was, because I had already had experience and I had gone through educational process through the, bio, the biological sciences, uh, I was able to teach, which I really appreciated. But, but you, know when, you know when you're right, when you feel comfortable in your own skin. And when I got to that college and I attended that college, even though it's different now that was when I was there, um, there was something about what we were learning and the incredible ability of the body to be well when things aren't, aren't compromised. And that really sang uh, very loudly with me. And so it, I resonated with that whole program. I did very well in the program, uh, not to brag, but I will. Um, I graduated the most handsome man. No, I graduated uh, as valedictorian of my class and um, just because I was so excited about the education that I was learning. Um, and so I graduated valedictorian and, and what I would do is because, because I didn't have to take all the classes, I was able to challenge out some classes. I had coffee every single morning at seven o'clock with one of the professors who was very principled. And at the time I didn't really understand what that meant as much as I do now, but he was very principled in that he understood the philosophy and worked within the philosophy and did what he could to remove obstructions to the body's normal functioning through the adjust chiropractic adjustments. And I would sit with him and listen to him because I figured he's been doing this for a long, long time. And I remember telling him one day, I said, you know, doctor, his name was Dr. Richard DeSarbo. I said, Dr. DeSarbo, I, uh, I would rather sit in my office alone than were for somebody else. And with a certain level of arrogance. And now I'd had business experience. I'd owned restaurants and I've been in biotech. So I had a certain level of, of arrogance about the business, uh, not knowing that chiropractic business is like none other, none other business certain that I had been in. Um, and so when I first opened my office, I had it decorated nicely and I had my shingle out there and, and I was waiting for people to come in. And the phone would ring and, and nine times out of 10 it was my mother calling to see how I was doing. Um, but, but I learned that if you're, going to, if you're going to serve the people, then you got to go get the people. And so I began to learn how to do some marketing, some sales, and some promotional work. And, and I built this really nice practice that kept growing and growing and growing. And here I am 24 years later, seeing many of the people that I saw 24 years ago, because my, my commitment is to them and to keep them healthy for as long as they can be and expressed in their optimal potential. And when people ask me, Jack, how long do I need to see you? And I said, it really depends on which one of us dies first. <laughs> I expect to see you for the rest of your life. And as long as I'm alive and you're alive, then I expect this relationship to continue. And so I built the practice based on uh, relationships. Um, I have been asked to, to marry a few of my, my patients. I've been uh, asked to go to their bat mitzvah and bar mitzvahs. I've been gone, asked to go to their, their uh, birthday celebrations and their kids' soccer games because I love the people that I am privileged to serve. And, and I got those people because I had to go out there and get them. They just don't come because you open up a, an office one day. So that's that's kind of my story. Hey, it was really nice talking to you guys. We'll see you next time. <laughs> that was fantastic. I learned a lot of things about you that I didn't know, which is really cool. And the fact that your whole life was changed by one experience that your wife had, but she could have gone to any chiropractor and maybe gotten the same results. But the fact that they were principled, that had such an impact on you. How yeah. do you think your, your life would have 
taken course if your wife was adjusted, had the same results, but the principal wasn't there. He did not explain like he explained to you. Do you think you would have still followed this course or you would have gone a different direction? You know, I think everything happens for a reason. I think there are no consequences. And so I don't think that my life was destined for anything but what I experienced. Um, and so I can't really answer that. It's like asking a, 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 an only child, you know, what's like to be an only child. That's all they know. And so this is all I know. You know, I believe, I do believe in, there, in a God. And I believe that God led me to this Dr. Calfian with my, my late wife. And it's because of that that I am here today. And it's because of the the experiences that I accumulate along the way that I am who I am today. Um, you know, I don't like to label myself as anything other than a chiropractor, but you know, we have mixtures and straights and, and principled and non-principled. And the truth is that either you're a chiropractor or you're not. Mm -hmm. And if you truly are a chiropractor, then you understand that the philosophy is what dictates how and what we do. And, and so I firmly believe in the philosophy of chiropractic that we do have this intelligence within us, which allows us to function optimally and to experience life as we were intended to. Um, I, I think that health is a consequence of optimizing your life's experience. I don't think that what we really do is, is for health specifically, like, uh, you know, people will come to us with issues and I like to transition them from their perceived issues to let's see what life would be like for you when it's expressed optimally. And so I take them through this really non-threatening uh, non-philosophical, because truly the philosophy is for us. It's for we chiropractors. Um, and so for us chiropractors who, who take the time to understand and study the philosophy, which by the way is a lifetime issue. You know, um, if you look at Stevenson's in the introduction of his book, it says that uh, chiropractic philosophy is a lifetime endeavor. You, you just don't read it once and you get it. I'm reading, in fact, you might see behind me green books. I read them all the time. And I'm, you know, just like anything else, like even the Bible, for example, you can read the Bible a bunch of times. And, and sometimes when you come to a certain part of your life, that relevance is even more so than other times that you may have read it. So when I read through the green books, uh, I'm always reading through to learn something new. And so uh, my recommendation is to those students uh, and even young doctors and even seasoned doctors who haven't taken the time to really understand and study the philosophy that, that you do so. And, and I think you do so by picking up Stevenson's volume 14, the chiropractic textbook. And, and I think what you do is you get together with other people, uh, hopefully some of whom have more experience in the chiropractic philosophy than you might and learn the philosophy because it's the foundation of what we do. You know, we're, we're not, we're not, we were not founded to do neck pain, back pain, sciatica, and, and, and those types of things. We were, put into this profession to optimize the human experience. And that's what happens when your body's free to vertebral subluxations. And, and that's what we do. We focus on the vertebral subluxation and assist in the body to eradicate that when it's detected and when it's objectively measured. Wow. That makes sense? Yeah, that was amazing. Well, I then, think there you go. Students are gonna love this. I hope I, you know, I hope they I hope they do. What I really hope is that what I'm saying right now is actually redundant to them. But unfortunately, I don't think it's true. I, no, I just don't think that the schools. Uh, I would say most of the schools really teach philosophy anymore. Mm -hmm. Anymore, I think you know you've got the Shermans, and we're going to have Scotland College Chiropractic, and I know that that Life West uh, has some because Dr. Ankur Tyal is there. Their chair of their philosophy department. So there are there are some pockets, 
you know, I, the people at Sherman are so fortunate to have Bill Deccan and, and those folks there who are teaching philosophy. Uh, he's, he's one of my heroes. Um, but Scotland Chiropractic College, which is going to be opened up next year, is I know it's going to be philosophically sound because their new president uh, is a dear friend of mine, Ankur Tayal, who uh, is leaving Life West to go ahead and lead that whole endeavor in Scotland, which is going to be awesome. Um, but when you have people who understand the philosophy and can communicate it and convey it in a way that is easily understood and more so applicable in practice, then I think we're really going to start to see chiropractic take off like it should. I think we're, I think we're somewhat in a renaissance right now in chiropractic where we're seeing more and more people coming to the philosophy because it's foundational. Right. I agree. Yeah. That, um, I was debating whether or not to ask you this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because I, I wrote it down and kind of what we were just talking to leads into it. But if you were, Jack, if you were to meet a, a chiropractic student that just graduated from one of these schools that are from, from a school that are te that's teaching chiropractic students that there's no such thing as subluxation, because that's happening. Yeah. What would you say to that person? Sorry. Like, how would you start the conversation? Yeah. I, the first thing I would say is, I'm sorry that you didn't get that. It truly sucks. Um, and then I would find out what their level of interest would be, because there are things that you can do to uh, improve your level of confidence in philosophy. One of which is um, maybe taking the ACP program through Sherman College, the Academy of Chiropractic Philosophers. Uh, it's a program that it's, it's a one-year program. It takes you through the foundations of, of the philosophy. Uh, it allows you then to pick a topic that if, is of interest to you and then write a philosophical paper, which may or may not get published. Um, so I would do that. I would go to as many of the philosophical meetings as possible. Um, you know, when I, when I was a student, I was, so, I was so into the academics that I didn't go to seminars. And in retrospect, I look back and say, boy, you know, I wish I had done that more and studied a little bit less. You know, I wish I had spent more time with my family and studied a little bit less. Because in my 24 years of doing this, I've never been asked what my grade point average was. And I've never been asked how, what my board scores were. But my goal when I was a student was to get a 4.0 and to score 700 plus in all the board exams. And that was dumb because I missed out on all these other things like philosophical or technique seminars where you're meeting people. And I think one of the purposes of going to seminars is one is to learn because there's a lot of information that is delivered by a number of really bright people, but more importantly is to network and to meet people and to meet your mentors. Uh, you know, mentor is such an overused word, but it's such an important thing to have, you know, mentor or coach, someone who has more experience than you, who's willing to bring you along and allow you to experience your own experiences, but to direct you and to, to kind of keep you on the right path. Mm -hmm. I, I would hope that people would find themselves at, for example, the Berkshire uh, experience, uh, which happens every year or at um, uh, one of the one of the focus groups or at Danny, Danny uh, Knowles and Rochelle Knowles Mile High, uh, or any one of these uh, more philosophically oriented weekend seminars. 
where you will rub elbows with some of the more knowledgeable people in philosophy, where you will rub elbows with some ex really super experienced people also in business, because you could be as philosophically sound as you can be, but if you don't know how to run a business, then you'll be essentially looking at your books all day long. Mm -hmm. And, and that's not, that's not how you serve people. You serve people by going out in order to do that. You have to have some, some sound business experience and some sound business principles. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, they say, you know, they say this, there's no, there's been never been a better time to be a chiropractor. And we hear that. And I bet you every generation says that. And, and there's some truth to that. And also there's some, some non-truth to that. Here's the thing. You're given a profession that is so well-defined that has hundred plus years of proven experience that people's life experience have been enhanced. You should probably know about that. Mm -hmm. right it's not about cracking bones right because some techniques don't even get a crack and so if you don't hear a crack that means you didn't get an adjustment no that's not true at all so understanding the why of what you do it and then you'll develop your how um is 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 paramount to becoming a, a great service so i consider myself a servant i serve chiropractic when i walk into my office every morning before i even touch the doorknob I say my affirmations, I say a little prayer, and I say a prayer of gratitude that I get to walk into this office and I look around and I see all the stuff that's mine, but all that stuff is mine so that I can serve others. And if you don't have a servant's heart, then maybe this isn't the right profession for you. Maybe you should go do something else or begin to develop that servant's heart because the servant's heart is one that will always keep you on track. And when you have a servant's heart and a, and a philosophical head, I think you're going to be really good at what you do, and that's delivering chiropractic. Mm -hmm. that, that is great. And, you know, you have been not only a speaker, but also an MC at many of these events, and yeah. you do a fantastic job at it. And, you know, you've influenced me. I'm sitting in my office and I'm looking right on my wall because of you. Sometimes you forget you were born to be awesome. This is your reminder that is on your wall, and I then put it on my wall as well because of that. And you, you influence so many people, yet you connect with people on a really personal level, even people who end up becoming mentors are still your friends. Um, one of those I know was Andy Roberts. Could you talk a little bit about how he influenced you? Because I know he had a big impact on your life. Yeah. Um, biggest jerk on the planet, Andy Roberts. <laughs> no, he was my hero. Um, you, you, you know, and again, I don't think things happen by coincidence. I think things happen because they're supposed to happen. And um, one of my first friends, Steve Tullius, started a philosophy group down in his area in Southern California many, many, many years ago. And he said to me, hey, would you, would you be interested in maybe starting this group up in the Bay Area? I said, of course I would. So we started this group called the 33 DCs. Of the bay was this other guy named sean dill and and sean was also running um a philosophy group and um we were kind of not competing but we were kind of distracting each other because people were having to choose which one they want to go to and they didn't necessarily want to go to two a month and so we decided hey let's let's just form a group the two of us we'll call it the alliance so he was doing his group i was doing mine we came together and we formed this alliance the alliance became a very principled um, monthly event 
where we took Stevenson's text and divided like five or six pages and we would ask someone from around the country to come and talk specifically and in great detail about those five or six pages. This is just the freshman chapter. And if we found that they were off track for any reason, we'd ask them to sit down and we would get up and talk. Not because we were better, but because we already knew what we wanted to have accomplished for the doctors and the students that would come to us. And because we're in the Bay Area, we have these two chiropractic causes, we get a lot of students coming. So this was a chance for us to influence the students, which was awesome. Um, but because of Sean, I got to meet this character named Andy Roberts. They were best friends. They were business partners in El Salvador. And Andy and I just, we hit it off. Whenever there was a, a conference, we always roomed together. Um, uh, we would stay up until sometimes all night long talking about philosophy. And, and he, was, um, he was an interesting teacher in that he did kind of the Socratic method of, of teaching. He would ask you questions. And then when you gave him the right answer, he, he would contradict you completely, even if you were right. Like we could look outside and it's sunny and I say, oh, it's daytime. He goes, no, it's not, it's nighttime. And he would find a reason to convince me it was nighttime. And more often than not, I would say, you're right, it is nighttime, even though the sun's right out there. So that's, that's how he was. He was that influential, but he was really, really, really kind. And we, we had this relationship that uh, we were like brothers. We, um, we would cut each other down. We would insult each other's mothers. We would do all kinds of stuff. And we spoke, we either spoke or we chatted every night before bedtime. And our, our, the final words to all of our times together was, good night, brother. I love you. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Wow. Yeah. Even though we disagreed on so many things, but, but he was influential because he understood chiropractic philosophy so well. He understood our history so well. It was, it would ooze from his pores and just being around him. I soaked up some of that ooze, which is kind of gross, but I soaked up some of his ooze and, uh, and because of him, I became a better version of me. And, and I hope that whatever version of me I can share, like he did with me, I can share with other people because it really will fulfill your life when you understand uh, in, your, in your being what it is that you're here on earth to do. And, and I think as our goals as chiropractors is that uh, our, our job is to make everybody else's life better. And therefore, you know, if you read Stevenson's textbook chapter, uh, article 399 is called BJ's Utopia and he describes what the world would be like if we didn't have people who were vertically subluxated. And, and I buy into that. I believe that entirely. And I think that our job as chiropractors is to make the world a better place for other people. And we can do that by enhancing their life experience. And when that happens, then they become better versions of themselves and they can start to spread that whole better versionism that I think is so needed, especially in today's society. Uh, and I'll tell you an interesting thing that I do with my son along the same lines of, of philosophy is that uh, every morning before he goes to school, I ask him three questions. And I ask him, who are you? And he responds, I'm the goat, the greatest of all time. And I ask him, what is our family motto? And his family motto is winners always win. And I said, what is our family purpose? And he says, to leave planet Earth better than we found it. And if I can instill that into my son and I do the same thing indirectly with my, my, my patients that I'm privileged and honored to serve, I know that when they leave here, there'll be a better version of themselves and hope that when they go to where they're going to go, that they're going to make a better impact and a more favorable impact on this planet. And when we do, we have a chance to hit our utopia. And I hope that we do. Me too.
Love yeah. it. That's so powerful. Drop the mic on that. Yeah. That was awesome. Great. Was. I I thank you guys for having me. <clears throat> it's nice that you don't have any um, you know, biases toward the older folk. No, we we prefer geriatrics because it's a very slow pace then. Yes, very slow. What'd you say? <laughs> Well, Jack, I have one more uh, one more question for you. Sure. If you had just one piece of advice, like the most important piece of advice to give to a chiropractic student, what would it be? Stay humble. Mm -hmm. Stay humble. You don't graduate knowing everything. And and too often, you know, I, I served as dean of clinics at LifeWest. <clears throat> and, and one of the things that surprised me is, is how and I love these kids, but is how um, they think they already know it all. Mm. And, and guess who did that 24 years ago? <laughs> Me, right? <laughs> I'd rather sit in my office empty than to work for somebody else. So I would say stay humble. And if that means that you need to associate with someone um, or, or even volunteer to, to file their paperwork, just to be in the office of someone who you respect and who's practice you would like to emulate, I would have you do that. Um, there's nothing wrong with saying I don't know. And there's certainly nothing wrong with saying help. And I would hope that they, they leave with a foundation, an educational foundation, but they don't yet have a practice foundation. And that comes with time. That's why they call it a practice. I'm still, after 24 years, I'm still learning and I'm still finding out better ways to do what I've been doing. And, and that takes a certain level of humility. And I would hope that they remained humble and hungry and dedicated and devoted and immovable when it comes to the principle. That's what mm -hmm. I, that would, I, I would hope that they would consider those attributes. Now, is that what, I don't wanna add on to that, but I will, is that what drives you? I mean, how do you, after being in practice and having so many other uh, businesses and a whole nother life. How do you continue to stay humble yourself? Because I know that I'm not the power that animates the living universe. I just help to free it up. And when you can free it up and you see somebody's life change, when you see a two-year-old who's come to you nonverbal and within six visits won't shut up, when, you, when your son is born de near dead, and you adjust that atlas as I did and you restored his life and he came back and I get to see his eyes every morning when he wakes up and I kiss him goodnight <clears throat> every night. And I'm reminded of my purpose here. It's not a difficult task. It's a pleasure to come to work. I don't, I don't have to come to work. I get to come to work. And I know that's really cliche, but I, I pity the people who wake up the morning and they have to go to work. I wake up in the morning and can't wait to get to this door so I can say my affirmations, give my, or my, my gratitude, and then start to see the people that I'm supposed to see. I'm only seeing those that I'm supposed to see. I'm not seeing 7.3 billion people. I'm seeing the ones that I'm supposed to see. And with that comes a certain um, humility and reverence for the plan, whatever that plan is. I'm happy with my plan so far, though, I'll tell you. That's pretty great. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think having to go to work and wanting to go to work are, is kind of a mindset, regardless of your financial situation. Totally. It's, it's something that everybody 
can shift to. Yeah. And should shift to. If you so desire, but it's something that they can shift to when they decide to. You know, one of the things I've always told my kids is that everything that happens in your life is a result of your decisions. You're not a victim of your circumstances. So you create the life that you want. You create the, the, the work that you want. Um, you create the friendships, the relationships. Everything is a, is a result of your choices. So try to make the better choices when you're given an opportunity, knowing that sometimes you won't. We all make you know, bad choices in life. Mm-hmm. Um, but hopefully we have a few of those and many more of the good choices so that we do have this life of wanting to serve others. I mean, what greater privilege is it in life that you can serve somebody else? I think it's awesome. I can't, I love serving other people. Mm-hmm. It's just, that's what drives me. Yeah. Today I was adjusting and as I was adjusting, I was just thinking about like, what a blessing is it that we get to enter people's um, electric field and like, that's what we do is, is, is like every time we lay hands on people or even get, get close to people, we're entering their electric field and they're yeah. entering our electric field. Right. And we're sharing that energy. Yeah. 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 And, and that's life. That's life. Like right. we get to play with life all day long. <laughs> all day. You know, one of the things that I do in my office um, is, is I hug everybody because everybody wants to be hugged. They just may not know it at the time. <laughs> and when you give them, when you open up, you know, with a hug where you're actually, you know, your heart, heart to their heart, and they sense from you that you are going to be there to serve them, no matter what their barriers are, even if it's the, you know, the guy with the, the tie and, the, and the, the starch white shirt, they all soften. And in today's society, with the distancing that we have, people want to be softened. They want to be loved. They want to be touched. Um, and they want to be appreciated. And I tell every single one of my patients, I appreciate them. And I thank them for the honor of allowing me to serve them on this particular day. And I know it sounds kind of woo-woo stuff, but the, the truth is that this, that's what I've chosen to do for my life. And that's what I've chosen to do for my practice. And I'm attracting those people who like that. Which is the way it should be. Exactly. Yep. What else you got for me? Jack, was that story story about the son? Was that your son? Or a patient's son? Which one? Um, The one that was born and not doing very well. Was that your son? That's my son, Evan, yeah. Can you, can you share that? Would you, would you want to share that story with sure, students? Sure. Cause I, I think I heard that story before and I think it's pretty amazing. Yep. I'd be happy to. So my, my wife uh, was studying abroad in Strasbourg, France during her pregnancy with our son, Evan. Uh, she's a rocket science at NASA, uh, like a real one. And um, we would talk every night on Skype because back then there was no FaceTime, but we were talking on Skype and, and she said, you know, I really want to do a home delivery. And I thought, well, you know, she's pregnant. It's her body. And the last thing I want to do is argue with her. So I said, that's great. I said, why don't we do this? Why don't we independently research uh, midwives in our area and we'll compare notes. And so we did. And we actually ended up with the same one, which was awesome. So when she came back to the States, we attended every week. We attended a class. I think it was actually twice a week, Saturdays and Wednesday nights. And we, uh, we attended the class. So we knew like what to expect. 
And our son was due on August 11th and July 30th. We were at the veterinarians, with one of our dogs and my wife, Aaron's water broke. And so like any man, I ran around like a chicken with his head cut off panic. And what do I do? And, you know, she's calls me down and says, you know, we're call Roseanne. So I called Roseanne and Roseanne said, you know, go home and we'll get to you as soon as we can. We're right in the process of doing another labor right now. And so I got her home and, and, you know, they send you home with this big tub because it's a water birth and we didn't have time to set up because we weren't expecting this kid for another 11 or 12 days. And so, um, Fortunately, we had a jacuzzi tub in our, in our downstairs bathroom. So I put her in the, cut, in the tub and got her in, got her out. And she's, I mean, she's moaning. And the more she moans, I'm a Jewish guy. We don't do well with this kind of stuff. And so the more she's moaning, the more I'm freaking out. And, and I'm getting her up down the stairs and we're doing the leg things and she's breathing and, and she's moaning more and more. And I'm thinking, oh my God, when's this? And if I at 9.30, so we got home at 5.30, at 9.30, knock on the door. There was five women at my front door. And I was never so happy to see five women who weren't Jehovah's Witnesses at that time of night at my front door. And it, they, they were all midwives. They came in. And so Roseanne said, you know, I need to examine her. So she says, she's fully dilated. This kid should be coming out. So she says, you know, they, they set up their own tub. And so they got her anyway, the whole thing. And, and uh, she examines her again. And she says, we have to transport to the hospital because Evan has first bowel with the meconium and if you aspirate that into his lungs it could be life-threatening so we called the ambulance we transported to the uh, hospital fortunately for us there was a midwife um, on uh, on staff at that time so our midwife is explaining things to that midwife and she, the midwife at the hospital says would you mind if i examined your son and your your wife said, you do whatever you have to do to make sure that these two people leave this hospital uh, alive and so they put this little thing on, on Evan's scalp and, and their monitor. And she said, he's in, he's in great distress. We're gonna have to call the emergency pediatrician. So they call the emergency pediatrician and she's doing all kinds of stuff and she's hands are everywhere. And all of a sudden, just as this 12 year old doctor shows up, his, I think it was Doogie Hauser shows up, um, out comes Evan. And I had been uh, present for my daughter's live birth. <clears throat> and when, when Evan came out, he came out uh, motionless, colorless, and his eyes, which are this beautiful blue-green eyes now, were kind of yellow-brown, and he looked like what I call a salamander. Mm. Just kind of laid there. And I envisioned, you know, cutting the umbilical cord. That never happened. They cut the umbilical cord. They rushed him off to the pediatrician. And meanwhile, my wife Erin has no idea what's going on. Um, and so what they thought is that he had aspirated a bunch of meconium, but what actually happened was that part of her cervix was cut on his forehead. So every time she pushed out, the service was cranking her back in and he was doing this for about six hours. <clears throat> and so I said, Aaron, I'm gonna just go and check on the, on the baby, I'll be right back. And so I go over to Dr. Doogie and I said, Doogie, you know, what's going on? He says, we don't know, you know, he's aspirates meconium. Uh, I said, so what are the opportunities here? I said, you know, what, what are the options? And he said, one is he could die. I said, okay, that's not an option. What else you got for me? He says, well, he could be here for a number of weeks because if he did aspirate, you know, the whole thing, blah, blah, blah. I said, so what's your plan? He says, we're going to take him up into the NICU. We'll work on him. We'll get you guys settled in. We'll call you in a few hours and let you know what the status is. And I said, okay, but before you do that, I would like my wife to hold this near lifeless blob of matter because she may not have done that again while he had any life in him at all. So he says, yes, but do it quickly. So I grab him as I'm bringing him over to Aaron my chiropractor mind kicks in and said, six hours of this, what's his neck like? 
So I said to her, hold them for one second. She held them. I palpated. I did not have thermography or x-rays or heart rate. All I had was my hand and a desire to maybe do something if it was useful for him. When I palpated his atlas, his atlas was somewhere in Nebraska. And so I very gently made my adjustment. You know, I don't remember if it cavitated. It probably didn't. It didn't matter. I did what I thought I had to do. I repalpated. It seemed to have been back into where it should be. I took him, gave him a doogie, and they went upstairs. And so now we're getting Aaron settled into her room. And after about 45 minutes, I said, I'm going to go check on the baby. So I went over to NICU. Now, NICU is set up so that there's an airlock. And, you know, you can go in. You can see. But there's an airlock, and you're supposed to be gowned. And I looked through the windows, and I could see at the far end of the room, the doctor and the nurse standing at the end of the bassinet. And they weren't doing anything. And so my first instinct was, my God, he, he's dead. So I bust in. I go to them. I said, Doc, what's going on? What's going on? He says, we don't know. We have no idea what happened, but he's completely normal. His Apgar scar is over nine. He's breathing his color. You can hear him crying. You can take him. And I grabbed that little guy. <clears throat> and as I was walking to bring him and to present him to my wife, Erin, I thought, what if the only reason I went to chiropractic college was to deliver that one adjustment? Wow. What if that's why? I went to chiropractic school. Maybe that's why I spent $150,000 in three and a half years of my life studying like a maniac so that I was in the right place at the right time prepared to evaluate my son and to make the appropriate adjustment to restore nerve flow in his body, which had been cut off. It was not the meconium because he was still been in the hospital. It was the fact he had nerve interference at the level of the brainstem that was shutting off his life force that was restored with a simple well-intentioned chiropractic adjustment. And now when I see that boy every day and every night, I'm reminded of why I'm here. And that is to provide that type of service, to that level of attention to whoever might be coming to my door and need my help. So that's the story of Evan the Great. Aw, thank you for sharing that. I You're love welcome. that story. Me too. Every time <laughs> I love I him. It, I, well, every time I hear that story, I get chills and I get choked up. I do too. This is the first time I haven't cried. So that's pretty good. I usually cry when I tell that story. <laughs> that is great. And just one of many examples of what chiropractic is really, why it's here for us. Yeah. And why we became chiropractors. Yeah. And why it's so important for us to share with other people, because you never know when the next heaven's mm -hmm. going to come around. Right. Right. It, you know, and it doesn't have to be a baby. It could be an adult. Yeah. But if someone's life, force is compromised in any way, shape, or form, and we have an ability to do something about that, enabling the body to make these corrections of the vertebral subluxation, because we don't, we don't adjust that. We provide a universal force into the body. Right. The body then intelligently takes and does something with, and that is to help restore and revitalize and create life again. And, and that point, I think, goes to what you had mentioned earlier about you don't need to hear an audible when you're making the adjustment because we're just introducing the force. If the force happens to cause a cavitation, great. If it doesn't, well, great as well. It really does not make a difference. The body's taking that force and applying it as need be. Right. The most important thing in that, John, um, is knowing if they need to be adjusted. Right. That's key. Once you've decided that they need to be adjusted, then you have to decide how and where. Mm -hmm. But before you even get to that point, it's what has been your analysis? 
to show that there is a physiological compromise as a result of that vertebral subluxation. Because an anatomical malposition is one thing, but right. when, it, when it's a subluxation, a verbal subluxation, then it is going to interfere with the mental impulse. And that's what, that's where we're different than anybody else. Mm -hmm. Right. And the, the big thing Nicole and I always talk about is the need not only for a pre-check, but a post-check to make sure then what we have done actually accomplished the desired outcome. Absolutely. And, and you know, the public, public wants to hear that. Yeah. Right. right? They, they don't go to the medical doctor and he looks at them and says, oh, you know, based on the way you're stand you have diabetes and so we're going to give you some medication no right. they do a blood test and they decide that we need an intervention and that would be the insulin for example and then they do periodic post checks mm -hmm. people want to do that right i that's what i do i do a very thorough initial examination i do i always do a pre-check and a post-check on every single patient that comes in and they expect that they sit down they know what my check is going to be i do my check and then i come back and, and post check and they're really curious to know how was the post check Right. And what they really want is to come in here and never need to be adjusted. That's another thing that we chiropractors don't have our heads on, right? Is that not everyone who comes to you needs to be adjusted mm -hmm. over yeah. and over and over again, certainly not in the same place over and over again. And so I tell people, I expect with time that I'll be adjusting you less often in fewer places because as your body begins to change and adapt and you take, take on some different lifestyles that you have to decide on yourself what you're going to do that your body's gonna work at a much higher level, which means you won't need to be adjusted as much. Right, and I think that's a big change from at least when I went to school. When I went to school, you wrote down the listings based on the x-ray and you adjusted every single listing, every single time they came in when you were in student clinic because that was what was expected. Right. And um, not, I not think- good. Yeah. Right, again, if you understand that the adjustment is an, a universal force, which by definition is destructive, you keep introducing that into the body and the body isn't willing to take that on and do something intelligent with it, then you're gonna cause more destruction. Right. Right, so you only wanna adjust as little as possible over a greater mm -hmm. period of time, but you wanna check them often. Because right. especially in our society where stress levels are so high, uh, they are gonna become vertical subluxation because of the three T's and mm -hmm. their inability to adapt to them. Mm -hmm. So I think if, if people begin to understand that, they would have a completely different practice than what they may have now. It would certainly not be symptom-oriented, although our patients will come to us with symptoms. And right. as empathetic people, we, we listen to them. And what I tell them is I look at that's an indication that your body probably isn't working properly. So let's find out what we can do to enhance the body's ability to function optimally. And when that happens, your body will take care of whatever it needs to be taken care of. And yeah. I... I that is huge. I mean, just this last piece is huge for students and new docs because I don't think they're getting that. And there's a disconnect because we live in such a, a, a medical society where, you know, you want a quick fix, a pill for everything, and you're missing this whole beautiful aspect of what true healing is about and how the yeah. body functions and adapts. Yeah. You know, I was talking to, to Bill Deccan this weekend. Um, and, you know, he's, he's just a, a brilliant, brilliant philosopher. And I said to him, I said, my biggest regret for chiropractic is two. One is that we call ourselves doctors of chiropractic. I just mm -hmm. wish we'd have been called chiropractors. Uh, and that would have taken a whole lot of this, mis this, this misbelief and this, this misunderstanding away. And two, that we would never, ever have been allowed to participate in the insurance game. 
Mm-hmm. Because that yes. puts us into a different mindset. Now we are going to be symptom oriented. And there's nothing wrong with symptoms are the body's language, right? It's telling us something's wrong. Um, and, and, you know, even BJ said symptoms sell. Right. But, but what is our real purpose? Our real purpose is to clear that nervous system of any interference to the degree that we can. So the body can do what it's going to do on its own. That's mm-hmm. where healing takes place. It doesn't come from a potion or a lotion or things like that. It's the body's ability to adapt to its environment and then perform at its highest potential at that point. Absolutely. Wow. This, I, I may be out of place saying this, but I think this is probably one of our most philosophically powerful podcasts that we've done. Oh, uh, well, I, really I nailed it. Well, you know, if if we all got exposed to like the Andy Roberts and the Sean Dills and the Bill Deckens and the Anker Tyels, you know, if we got exposed to these people more often, uh, and there's others too, um, and the Steve Tulisas, but if we got exposed to these people, like I have, I've been blessed to be exposed to them, and because of them, I've studied really hard, um, in a loving way though, not because I had to, but because I wanted to, because there was something about this philosophy that just sparks life into me, mm-hmm. and if we could impart that on these young kids as they start to leave the schools i like to do it before obviously but if we can't at least we can hook them into um a desire to understand more and to be better um better philosophers and again not that i want people to go out and throw green books at their patients or their practice members but to own it so well that what you say it exudes out of you and people get it They get it. Like, I don't use the word verbal subluxation very much in my office at all, but they know what I'm looking for. I'm looking right. for disturbance and the proper function of that nervous system. So they don't have to have our philosophy. They don't even have to have our language. But what they have to understand is that we do something which is very, very, very special. That is very unique. No one else does what we do. Mm-hmm. As, as Dr. Liam Schubel says, we are the only doctors on the planet who are highly trained to detect vertebral subluxations and then allow the body through our adjustments to make the correction on its behalf. We're the only doctors that do that. No one else does what we do. There's there's physical therapists that do what they do and God bless them for doing that because I refer to physical therapists. There's massage therapists and I refer to them. There's yoga instructors and I refer to them, but no one does what we do. Orthopedic surgeons don't, uh, spinal specialists don't. We are the only doctors that are highly trained in the analysis and the correction of verbal subluxation. So we should really own that. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes us unique and distinct and separate from everybody else. Yes. Amen. Yeah. That's awesome. Boom. Drop the mic again. Yes. Why not? <laughs> Why not? Well, so we're heading towards the end of our hour together. Okay. Our hour. And this... <laughs> I thought this was supposed to be a half an hour. It really was supposed to be a half hour. But what you gave, Jack, was so damn good that I couldn't stop the hour. Well, I'm delighted that it worked out this way. Me too. And I'm honored that you came and agreed to do this. I know you have a lot going on, busy practice, and a million other things going on in your life. So I really appreciate that you were gave your time to share like you did well the reason i did it john honestly is because i thought this was nicole's program if i had known that you were on the program i probably would have been busy today 
We can edit me out if it makes you happier. You don't mind? <laughs> not at no. all. You know, you know, I know this, this is not to blow smoke, but but John D'Ambrosia has been one of my favorite chiropractors from, I don't know, we met, how, what, 15 years ago? I think, but did we meet at Connect in California? We did. I don't know when that was, but Neither we met I. then. And, and we've had this bromance ever since. And We uh, have. And honestly, there's, you won't find a softer heart and a more loving person than John D'Ambrosio. Oh, go on, Jack. And I know. <laughs> and he's also really good at Photoshop. <laughs> he is. He is. Well, thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. And Nicole, it's a pleasure to see your face and to hear your voice again. It's been a long time. Yeah, I know. It has been a while. We need yeah. to get to the Berkshires this year. Yeah, oh, I'm hoping it's going to happen. It's going to looks like it's going to be at the Berkshires this year. That's what I heard. Oh. Yeah. Cool. Puerto Rico is a little bit too difficult to get to now with all these restrictions. So it looks like Scott is working. Scott Garber is working really hard to make this thing happen. So hopefully it'll happen in, I don't know, March or April or May or sometime. Good. It'll be it'll awesome. Be great. I'll be there. John, Me you going to go? Of course. We can carpool up. You and that driving thing again. Can't we fly? Like we can fly to Connecticut. <laughs> no. It's like a two-hour drive. That's all? Something like that. Oh, two and a half. <laughs> yeah, I, and I hate traveling. I, I am just, not, I don't like traveling one bit. Well, it's crazy <laughs> now. Yeah. Especially and John and, I, John and I always go back and forth because he drives everywhere. I fly everywhere. So I always I tease him. Yeah. I'm not driving. I don't like to drive. Either. I mean, if, if I can fly somewhere, I can. If it doesn't make sense and I have to drive, then I'll do it. But yeah, I travel. I, I'm a homebody. I'm, I like to stay home. Mm. All right, so, kids. All well, right, Jack. Again, thank you. It's a great pleasure. Thanks for having me. And I look forward to talking to you guys again soon. All right. Good. And, if, and if, if, the, if the students need anything, if they have any questions, feel free to share my information with them. Okay. Um, not, not, my, not my home number, John. Because that's, oh, that's just for me. Just okay. for you. Uh, honestly, <laughs> if, if they have questions or concerns or if they need clarification, I'd love to talk to them. If I can help them in any way, I certainly will. We appreciate that. We'll that put helps. that information at the end of the podcast. Thank you. Awesome. All right, you guys. Yes. Love you. All right. Love you too. Love Take you care, too. Jack. Stay well. Merry Christmas. You too. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Bye. Bye.